All right, so here's the deal, you guys. So we're going to look at the Beatitudes, which were the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, as it's called, in Matthew chapter 5. And it really is the time where Jesus, the first time Jesus kind of sat down, he said, okay, guys, let me just share with you what this is all about. And what's wild is uh, most people will look at this and go, man, we love the teachings of Jesus. And when he came and kind of opened up the eyes to everybody about what this was all about, what you realize was Jesus came into this world and he revealed to us what every human heart longs for. I, I think that's what, I mean, people see in Christ what the human heart longs for. So we have this fruit of the Spirit, you know, and we'll just rip those off. You know, love and joy and peace. How about if we just stop there? Who wouldn't want some love, joy, and peace? Anybody want some of that? I mean, seriously, if we just stopped, put a period on that and said, Jesus came just to give you love, joy, and peace, we'd all be like, bring it on. You know, every human heart needs that. But then he goes on, and patience, that's for all the parents, and kindness, and gentleness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and self-control. See, and you look at that, and every human heart can say, man, I long for those things. And then you look at the life of Christ, too, and he had this amazing inner strength and absolute confidence Somebody who, it's like he knew his purpose in life. And, and I think almost as well, every human being sits there and goes, man, I'd love to be able to wake up in the morning and just be confident, to be strong internally, to know why I'm here and to live for that. And then the other thing with Christ, which uh, is one of the personal ones I love about him the most, is that dude was free. <laughs> I mean, he was free. And, and there's so many things in human, all of us, as human beings, we have these other, the stuff that ties us down and, and emotional junk we're working with or weird things in our mind or insecurities and all that kind of stuff. And he was free. And he was good. He was so good. And when something's good, it's productive. And, it, and good, real goodness, brings transformation. And, and, and so you look at this life for Christ and, 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 and the human beings search for this and we search for this and we search for this. And I think what Jesus did is he came down on the Sermon on the Mount and he said, okay, now I'm going to show you how you can have all of that. But what was so interesting is it's everything the human heart longs for, but it's found in a completely opposite way than what we think we should, how we feel like we should get it. Let me just read some of the scriptures. John 8, 23, Jesus says, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world, I am not of this world. Okay? So he's going to, and actually, it's amazing. I, just looking at the word world, try to say those two things together. The word world, over and over again in scripture. I, I, one of these days, I'm like, okay, I need to do a study on this. And just see how, what the world meant to, what it means to God. But he goes, here he goes, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, I don't give to you as the world gives. It's a completely different way. In John 18, he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to present my arrest. This is when they were coming to arrest him. But now my kingdom is from another place. And then Pilate says, you're a king then? And Jesus answered, you are right in saying I'm a king. In fact, For this reason I was born, and for this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone on my side of truth listens to me. I mean, he's just making it really clear. I come from a completely different place, and I'm coming down here to show you that the way that this world operates is not the way to find what you're looking for. And so it's completely 
counterintuitive. That's why Romans 12 says, don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, inner strength and confidence, freedom, purpose, goodness, productivity. Every human heart longs for that. And Jesus comes to us and says, I've come to give it to you. But it is going to be completely different than what you were expecting. And so that's what we've got to open up ourselves to. It's something counterintuitive. And I think we know what that is, right? Uh, any sailors in here? So I'm, I'm, I'm not, because I want to... So, so if you guys tell me this, because somebody told me this, I'm going to make sure it's right. So if you're out sailing and you run into a storm, let's say all the rest of us who aren't sailors, if you're out sailing and a storm comes, what are you going to do? Huh? Panic. Panic? Okay. <laughs> yes, that might be all of us. Absolutely. But what would you do? What's that? Yeah. See, it's so, because my, my intuition, if I'm going, I see a storm, what am I doing? Ooh, I'm rowing, baby. If that's what I'm doing, I'm not sailing then, I'm rowing. But I'm booking, I'm booking in the other direction, and yet the, the proper thing to do is to go completely against your intuition and go into it. Pretty amazing. You know, the other thing, too, is um, learning to ride a bike. Uh, my Caleb, uh, who's six years old, this will be his year. Uh, his sisters are way ahead of him, so we've got to get him going on the bike thing. Anybody else scared to learn to ride a bike when you were a kid? Okay, you and me, Steve, thanks for, thanks for helping me out. Okay, um, I, I really was, I have this kind of fear of falling, you know, and stuff. And so when, you, when you're on a bike, you think when you're learning, what you want to do is go really slow, right? Because that's, that's just, it's safer to go slow. Is that true? No, isn't that wild? Because once you get on a bike, you know, it's like, no, I got to get going. It's just the opposite. You actually need to move. And then all of a sudden, it's a whole lot easier to see. Even now, you know, when I'm trying to keep up with him on a scooter, I'm like, you know, because I'm going slow. So it's always counterintuitive. And here's what happens, you guys. When people read the Sermon on the Mount, if you're really honest with yourselves, um, most people read it, and if we would prescribe, if we would say, hey, this is how you're supposed to live your life, have you guys read that stuff? It's intense. If you read that and you go, that's how we're supposed to live? You just go, there is no way. That's off the charts. So G.K. Chesterton, he said this. He goes, the first time you read it, it feels like it turns everything upside down. It's just, it's just weird. He goes, but the second time you read it, you discover it actually turns everything right side up. He goes, the first time you read it, it feels impossible. But the second time you read it, you feel that nothing else is possible. Nothing else, I'm sorry, is impossible. Because the first time you go, you just go, this is ridiculous. But it's, it's, what happens is if you actually dive into your heart and let God start to reveal something to you, you start to get it and you go, oh my gosh, there's no other way to live. It's kind of like um, when, you're, when you're, uh, a part of your body falls asleep. You know, I, I, I've shared this story before, but when I was in college, I was laying in bed and I woke up in the middle of the night and somebody was in my bed. Totally freaked me out. So I go like this, and I, and I grab their arm, and I threw it off, and it came right back, right? And I'm like, get, get out of my bed, and I'm freaking out. And then I finally realized it was me. <laughs> my arm somehow had totally fallen asleep. And it, when it does that, it doesn't work. In fact, just yesterday, you know, so what happens is if, if you stick your legs in a real unnatural position, and the older you get, that just means Indian leg crossing. I'm, I'm finally re- realizing that. If you sit like that for a really long time, and then you get up and you try to walk, what happens? 
If you, you, you go, God, they don't, they don't work. And so your legs fall asleep from being in a position too long, and the natural functioning of the legs feels unnatural. See, so in reality, what happens is we grow up in this world, and we have this inner desire for all this stuff, this longing to have a life like Christ, and yet we've all lived in the pattern of this world, which is completely natural, but it's not supernatural. And so all of a sudden, Christ comes and says, hey, let me show you the way you're really supposed to walk. And you try it, and you're like, whoa, you know? It just, it doesn't really work. But you guys, here's the thing I just want to encourage you about as we go through this. And if you want to read, man, go ahead and read the whole Sermon on the Mount. Because I've actually heard teachers, Christian teachers say, that literally, the Sermon on the Mount is just to show you what you can't do. To let you know that you need Jesus. Now, I'm going to show you we need Jesus. But I also want to tell you, it's actually the only way to live. So listen, the Sermon on the Mount is practical. For the man who first spoke these words, practiced them. And the practicing of them produced a character so beautiful, so symmetrical, so compelling, so just what life ought to be, that he is as inescapable in the moral realm as the force of gravity is in the physical. So again, Christ lived out these things, and everybody goes, that's the way it should be done. But let me tell you this. As we go through this, and as you look at the Sermon on the Mount, here's, here's, let's dance. Here's what happens. Is if you look at the things in the Sermon of the Mount in a religious way, and you say, this is my duty, I have to try to do these things, I'm telling you what, you will never be able to do it. And it will frustrate you to no end. Because when there's duty, you can look at something and you say, man, I've got to do this. And you just go, I can't. But what's amazing, you guys, the question is, but is it duty or is it love? Because when you really, really love someone, it's crazy what you'll do, isn't it? Anybody remember before marriage? Anybody remember those days? I mean, the amount of money you spent... And the distances you would travel and the sacrifices that you would make and it was the only thing that made sense. I mean, that's why people look at people who are falling in love and just go, oh, you make me sick. You know, just stop it. You know, enough already. And yet when you're in love, man, you just pour it out. And I'm going to tell you, man, when you start to actually know the love of God and you realize that all the Sermon on the Mount is, it's about love then it's the only thing that makes sense. Now, if you don't love him, and you're doing it because you have to, to get his love, or you're doing it because of duty, it will kill you. Because you'll look at that and you'll go, I can't do it. So this, this little book that I'm reading, by the way, is called, it's from E. Stanley Jones. He was a missionary in India. And um, a great book's called uh, The Christ of the Mount. If you want to pick it up, you'd have to Google it and buy an old copy, but... It's fantastic. Here's here's the other quote he says. Put the man who spoke these words into the background. In other words, let's go to the Sermon on the Mount and just set Jesus off to the side. He goes, and look only at the sayings, and they become as lofty as the Himalayan peaks and as impossible. But put the warm touch of his reinvigorating fellowship into it, and anything, in fact, everything, 
becomes possible. For these things were not to be worked out on the unit principle, but on the cooperative plan. They weren't supposed to be worked out as duties that you do. They were supposed to be worked out in an intimate, loving relationship with God. And just like any of us are in a human relationship, you know when you really love, when you really love, you'll give it all. This is what you do. And when you really love, the Sermon on the Mount will start to make total, complete sense to you. All right? So, the first one we're going to look at, the Beatitude today, is blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All right? Before we do, let me just pray. And let me just ask you guys, even right now, just for you in your own heart, just to sit here today and go, okay, God, if you have a way for me to experience the fullness of life that you came for me, I want to know what that is. And this one, you guys, this is the first thing he says, and it's the key that opens the door to the whole rest of the Sermon on the Mount. Okay? So let's pray, and let's ask God to reveal that to us and soften our hearts so we can receive it. Oh, Jesus, uh, this morning I just want to say I love you. I love you. I love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you that every person in this room is just unbelievably valuable to you. Enough for you to give your life for every one of us in this room. And so, Lord, I just, and I want to thank you too, that when you came, you said, and I came so you'd have life and life to the full. So, Lord, we're here today because we want to live a life with you. We want to know you. We want to understand deeply what it is to experience everything that you've got for us. So, Lord, as we look at what today, what it means to be poor in spirit, (laughs) and in that way, we actually receive the kingdom of heaven. I just pray that you'd help us to know what that means and to open up our hearts and open up our minds. God, you know every one of us in this room, what we need to hear and how we need to hear it. And I just ask that your grace might come and set us free, even today, in a brand new way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So what's it mean to be blessed? What's it mean to be blessed? Anybody got an idea? This is going to be very interactive today, so just get ready. What's it mean to be blessed? Blessed are... The poor in spirit. What's that mean? You guys need a teacher. (laughs) Okay, that's interesting because there will be some answers. I'm going to throw a lot of questions out to you today, and some of them you'll be able to spot back to me. If you don't really know what it is to be blessed, then that's not very motivating, is it? I mean, if you're sitting there going, bless her, okay, great, well, so what? You know, I don't even know what that means. Here's what it means to be blessed. When you're blessed, it means you're, and sometimes people will say it means happy. You know, some people just go, happy are the poor in spirit. Well, happy is okay, but it's so much deeper than happy, okay? It literally means to be the recipient of God's favor. If you're being blessed, that means God is pouring his favor into your life. It's not, in fact, it's not even the normal word used for human happiness. It's receiving what God has for you. And see, so this is when you sit there and you go, okay, so you got to think about God, And God is everything that's right, everything that's good, everything that's beautiful. He's perfect in all his ways, and he wants to show us favor. So basically, it's receiving what God has for you. And as I read earlier, God's will is what? It's good, it's pleasing, and it's perfect. It's complete, it's fulfilling. So basically, when every time we go through these Beatitudes and you hear, blessed, you basically, you can say, dude, I got it. 
Like, you are the richest person in the world. That's why I love Ephesians 1, where it says, we have every spiritual blessing. Already in Christ, every spiritual blessing is ours. Blessed are you. You know, because it's easy, because you, you guys actually know what it means. You look at other people and go, dude, that dude's so blessed, right? He's either blessed with all this talent, or he's blessed, blessed with all this resource, or he's blessed, she's blessed with all this beauty, or she's, you know, we just look at people, have, well, they got what I don't have. And what God wants to tell you is, you got it all. You got it all. Blessed are you, if you're poor in spirit. If you're poor in spirit. So here's how I'm going to say it. Completely filled with life are the poor in spirit. Completely filled with life are the poor in spirit. Now that's a funky term right there. Poor in spirit. When I say that, don't, don't, don't mention anything, but when I say that, what comes to your mind? Who comes to your mind? Don't say anything. Who comes to your mind when you think that person's poor in spirit? That person's poor in spirit. Okay? Watch this video real quick. See if this is who came to your mind. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So how many of you, how many of you saw the image that came up in your mind of who was poor in spirit? Anybody, anybody see the person up there? Okay. Nobody? What did you, what, what'd you see in your mind then? When I said poor in spirit, what did you see? You saw yourself? Okay, dude, this is only going to be good if we interact here. What's that? Saw Mother Teresa. Okay, cool. Anybody else? What did you see when you saw poor in spirit in your own mind? I'm sorry? Friends? Cool. That's awesome. Anybody else? You saw your family? Okay. All right, let's, let's try this one. I think you can answer this question. When you hear the word poor, how do we define poor? What does it mean if you're poor? Okay, you're lacking. What's that? Without. Anybody else? You're in need. Cool. Anything else? What's it mean to be poor? 
No money. Okay, now anybody relate? All right. Okay, so what's interesting here, you guys, the verb in this word when it says the poor in spirit, the word actually means to shrink from something or someone. It actually means, so poor means you, you, you shrink like this. And I think that's, it's kind of to cringe and um, to beg. And I think that's why it's kind of this picture. Because sometimes if you see somebody who literally is at their end and they're that poor, then they find themselves, lots of times there's shame with that. Uh, lots of times there's, there's, you feel like you're not worthy of the people around you and you kind of shrink back and then you end up, uh, you can end up begging. Now there's another word actually in the Bible for poverty generally. And it means you're so poor that you have to work just to maintain your own life. Okay? Anybody relate to that one? Anybody poor enough that you actually have to work to maintain your own life, right? And we're from paycheck to paycheck. And we, you know, we're, just, you know, we're, we're, just, we're just barely making it. But that's not this word. Okay? Here when it says the poor in spirit, the word means that you don't live by your own labor. You are totally dependent on the gift of someone else to survive. Have you ever seen anybody like that? You know, it, you, we see it all the time when we see pictures around the world and there's, there's people who are literally, if someone doesn't come to my aid, I will not survive. That is the word here. To actually be poor to the point where you realize, I cannot do this on my own. And if somebody doesn't intervene, I won't survive. Okay. Now, you don't need to nod your head or, or anything, but anybody ever felt poor in spirit? Where your spirit actually gets to that point. Now, what does it mean to be poor, to be at that much of need, where you realize if somebody doesn't intervene, I don't survive? In spirit, to be poor in spirit. This is what it's not, okay? Because some people actually thought that meant, when Jesus said, man, blessed are the poor in spirit, some people twisted that, and they said, man, it's great to be poor, I mean, it's awesome to have not enough so that you suffer. And that's not what he's saying here. It also doesn't mean that the poor in spirit are not those who are cowering. It doesn't mean that you're a nobody. This is one of the things that lots of times you'll run into Christian people and, and you'll say, hey, you know, thanks a lot for doing that. And they're, oh, well, you know, that wasn't me and, and I'm not any good. And you know, you know me. I'm just, they just totally do this false humility thing. You know, boom, boom, boom. They just beat themselves down. And they think that's really spiritual to do that. It's not. That's not what it means. It also, and this is very, very key for some of you, it was key for me. It does not mean that you have to suppress your personality. Okay? Because lots of times what we think is, man, to be poor in spirit means I should just, again, I should just kind of go back into the woodwork and, and not be fully who I am. That's the, I have totally bought this lie. And I just want to tell you, man, I feel like Jesus is just beginning to set me free in the last month from this lie. Because lots of times you feel like if you're really spiritual, then you should just not be, you know, you shouldn't go for it. And I don't know about you, but I was scared to death to give my life to Christ because I thought once I did, I'd have to become really weird. Okay, anybody else wonder about that? You're like, dude, I'm going to have to wear really, you know, geeky clothes, listen to bad music, and just, you know, I was just, I had this whole idea that everything that I am would totally have to change. That's be poor in spirit, just not be who you're made to be. No! Because what God wants to do is take your personality and infuse it with his spirit. See, he likes who he made you. He's the one who actually designed you this way. And so to be poor in spirit doesn't mean don't be fully alive. No, it will mean you'll become fully alive. Now, this is what it is. To be poor in spirit, you guys, is your attitude 
toward yourself, though. I'm going to try to explain this. To be poor in spirit means you're not rich in yourself. It's not, you are not full of yourself. So in essence, it's an absence of pride. It's an absence of self-reliance. You get to this place where your own assurance is not in who you are or what you can do. It is to be poor in spirit is to get to the point where you go, if somebody else doesn't come, I can completely dependent, I completely trust, and I'm completely, and this might be the word right here, I'm completely humble. I'm completely humble. Because here's what God says. He goes, your heart right now, if you, if you were here last week at Easter, your heart right now is the heart that God wants to come into I'm going to use this bucket as an illustration of your heart. And God literally wants to fill you with himself. But here's the reality. Most of us are so full of stuff that actually starts to block us from God actually getting to our heart. Yeah, does that make sense at all? Anybody? Okay, we got some nods. I, please, please, if, you, if you have some courage, and those of you guys who I know, help me with this one, Okay. What are some things that are in our hearts that might actually block God from actually being able to get in? What? Okay, pride? Fear. Of what? Fear of health, fear of death, selfishness, fear of failure, jealousy, greed. What's that? Shame. Shame. I'm sorry? Comparison. Comparison. Someone said hurts. hurts, habits, and hang-ups. Absolutely. What did you say? I'm sorry? She said someone said hurt. Oh, yeah. It's being hurt. Yeah. Now, why? Because if you're hurt, what are you doing? If you're like me, what do you do when you're hurt? You yeah, you put up a wall, right? So you protect your... Well, here it is. You protect your... Self, right? So we've got this whole idea. So let me just show you. So here's what happens. Oh, someone needs to work out. All right. So I've got a list here, and I know you guys hit, hit a lot of these things. Um, so, um, so a lot of fear, right? So we got fear. We've got fear of health. We got fear of death. We got fear of failure. Okay. Nobody hit my. Anybody else uh, fear of rejection? Anybody else got one of those? Yeah, I got one out. Okay, and you pour that in, and then you've got all your other stuff here. Uh, so let's put self-protection, because so people have hurt you, and now you're guarding your heart because you don't want anybody to do that again. And you totally screwed up your life, so you have all this shame and guilt. Lots of guilt and shame. That's good. Pour a little of that in your heart. All right. How about anxiety and worry? Anybody got that stuff in there? Yeah, we got a lot of anxiety and worry in there. And then we've got, um, oh, here's one. How about busyness? Anybody so busy that you can't even get, I don't have time for this spiritual stuff. Yeah. So we're busy. We got all that going on. And then, um, oh, I'll get to that one in just a second. So then, and worldly pursuits, right? The other thing is we got so many other things. Dude, I, I need that job, and I need that house, and I need that, and I need this. And next thing you know is our heart gets completely full. 
And right now, you guys, you guys, if you're like me, this is always a good um, evaluation of your own heart. What is your heart full of? And, and so we've got unforgiveness or bitterness, right, from these people who've hurt us. Now your heart is hard, fear of failure, rejection, unworthiness, shame, anxiety, and worry, pursuits, busyness, brokenness, and wounds, self-protection. So is this thing full? Not yet. See, because now there's still some other stuff that gets really sneaky about what, things that we put um, that don't let God in. How many of you have opinions? See, those are the ones. It's, everybody can have opinion, right? Um, okay. How many of you know your opinion's right? Yeah, see, how many of you pretty much know what should be happening and how everything should work in life? Yeah. And now, we, you know, you're not going to nod your head, but literally, we actually like to tell God even why things have happened. And so next thing you know, see, we also fill up these nooks and crannies of our heart that sometimes we don't even know are there. And many times, what keeps the kingdom of heaven from getting inside your heart is because you know you're right. You, you, and I'm gonna, I, I, this, I just hope God can speak to any of you who are here right now. The pride, somebody said pride where we literally can look at God in our finiteness and say, I know how to run my life better than you do. Can we just all be honest? Can we, how many of you do that? Come on, how many of you do that? Every one of us does that. And see, so the next thing you know, so here's God saying, I've got the kingdom of heaven. I have it all for you. And yet, your heart is so full. And so then God comes and he brings, uh, like, because you guys know it's so cool how Jesus is the rock, right? God is the rock. It's a term that's used all the time in Scripture. So he wants to be your solidifying force. He wants to be your foundation. He wants to be the thing you can rely on. He wants his love for you to finally secure you and set you free from all the stuff. And so then, and many of us, even in this room right now, you're a Christian and you receive Christ and he goes, and, he, and, he, and so the wild thing is, you go, so here's the kingdom of heaven. Here's all his love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and freedom and inner strength and power and confidence and purpose and goodness. And you know it's there. And yet it's not in here. You know why? Why? Because we're not poor in spirit. See, what Jesus is telling us, you guys, when he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, he's just, say, he's just stating the truth. He goes for the kingdom of heaven to really live inside you. You've got to surrender all of this stuff. And you know what? This, this is not easy. This is the stuff that I'm realizing. It takes a lot of, uh, ooh, it's hard. And a lot of willingness to let God even get into the places that hurt. 
You know, because normally, if you're a proud person, almost always, it literally means actually there's just really strong insecurity underneath that you have to make sure nobody ever touches or sees. And so, let me just give you a couple examples that Jesus gives of what happens and why, why we struggle to actually have this kingdom of heaven inside of us. In Matthew chapter 23, verses 12 through 13, he says, Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Woe to you, teachers of, by the way, woe to you is the opposite of blessed. Yeah, okay, so there's this whole other section in scripture where Jesus just goes off on all the religious people and he just goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. In other words, you aren't experiencing my favor. You're not gonna get my grace. There's no blessing. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces. <laughs> you yourselves do not enter, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. So, here he is, and, and maybe for some of you who are maybe religious in here, like me, we always have to listen to these really carefully. Do we actually shut the kingdom of heaven in men's faces? When God is saying, oh, I've come with everything that's life. Now let me ask you, and then he says, you yourselves will not enter. Why would the religious Pharisees and people who are really pious religious people why will they not enter the kingdom of heaven? Because they think they're right. <laughs> Why else? Because they won't, definitely they, wouldn't, they won't surrender, for sure. Why else? I'm sorry? They're not going to what? They're not humble. Absolutely. They got too much stuff in their bucket. They really do. And here's what's wild, you guys, is almost every person that you run into who lives a very religious life where you just tell when you're with them, you just go, oh. Anybody been around somebody like that? Where you're like, you just, you, know, you just walk around in their presence. They're wonderful to be with. And, but the reality is they're just full of themselves. Or they're full of fear way more than you are. And their fear is, if I don't do everything right... So I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to do this, and I got to do this. So they're so full of all their activity and all their religious stuff that this whole idea of freedom and love and joy and peace, there's no room for it. Because I'm busy doing everything I got to do to make sure that God thinks I'm okay, that maybe then he'll love me. Anybody relate? Anybody grow up with that? I'm telling you, it's from the pit of hell. Because you can't even enter the kingdom of heaven if you're so full of yourselves. If you're exalting yourselves with all of, you, all of your own goodness, there's no dependence on God. See, that was what was so weird. They're actually trying to prove to God, I don't need you, you need me. I mean, that's really almost what it comes down to. Look at me, God, and look what I can do for you. And, and, and so this whole idea of being poor in spirit, of being completely just empty of yourself, religion can sometimes be the worst place. And here's the next thing Jesus says is, you don't let others enter who are trying to. Why is that the case? Why don't they let others enter who are trying to? What's that? Yeah. So, hey, if you can't, if you can't live up to the standard, then you don't, you don't fit in. You can't be a part of this deal. What did you get with somebody over here? Yeah. 
So seriously, so what they're doing, so other people are going, oh my gosh, I need God. I want God. And so then they come into a religious place, and what happens? Oh my gosh, I'll never get God. Because I have to do this, and I have to attain this, and I have to be this. And next thing you know, you feel so ostracized. And that's why you guys, Jesus Christ got so mad at the religious leaders while he was here on this planet. He's saying, you're representing me. And at one point, he says, you're twice as much a son of hell as they are. He's like, you guys, you're, you're keeping people from me. So now, I know none of us are like Pharisees, right? None of us, because we're all much more humble and got our act together. So, but let me, let, me just, let me just throw a few things by you. As long as you trust in yourself, the reality is you won't trust God. As long as you're self-proficient, then you won't need God's proficiency. As long as you're, now here's a good one. As long as you're a good guy, and a lot of people, most everybody thinks, I'm a good guy. As long as you're a good guy, you won't need God's goodness. And as long as you're good enough, you won't need his salvation. And as long as you're doing good at controlling your life, you won't want God's control. It's just true. And, and so every human heart, not just the religious elite, but every human heart struggles with saying, you know what? I can do this on my own. I heard one guy, it was so funny, he talked about a crutch. He was actually mentioned, he was, at, he was speaking at a conference and somebody at the end said, isn't Christianity a crutch for people who can't make it on their own? How many of you guys ever heard that, right? Christianity is just a crutch for people who can't make it on their own. And, and the guy asked him that, isn't that what Christianity is? And he goes, yep. That's exactly what it is. And then he just said, that, he asked this question, well, so what's so bad about a crutch? I mean, have you ever had anybody look at an actual crutch and go, ugh, bad crutch? You know, no, crutches aren't bad. They're actually really, really helpful. See, but if Christianity is a crutch, then what it's saying is, it's only good for those who are, you put it, lame, crippled, unable to do it. And see, what happens is, that's absolutely offensive to our self-sufficiency. Don't you dare tell me I can't do this. And that's where Christ becomes offensive. It's because he looks at every human being and he says, here's the deal. As long as you rely on yourself, you'll never rely on God. And if you don't rely on God, you'll never experience the kingdom of heaven. At another place, Jesus said in Matthew 18, he goes, at that time the disciples came to Jesus and he asked, who's the greatest in the kingdom? And he called a little child and he had him stand among them and he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. But therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Now think about it, he's talking about a little child. Aren't little kids awesome? <laughs> Sometimes. Um, <laughs> But in this, in this instance, why is Jesus saying, if you don't come like a little child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven? So the, way to, the only way to get into the kingdom of heaven is be like a little kid. Why? Because little kids, they need stuff. And you know what else is cool? Little kids want stuff. And you know the other thing that's really cool? Little kids ask for it. Don't they? I mean, it's amazing. My kids have no bash at all. I want that, and I need this, and give this to me. Little kids just lay it out there. And little kids depend on us. And they even trust us. And they look to us for protection and provision and guidance. 
Even yesterday, we were done with soccer, and we were all walking out. And uh, as we were walking out, I saw somebody, and I wanted to stop and talk to him. So I stopped and talked to him, and Caleb didn't know that we stopped, and so he just kept going. So after I talked to the guy for a couple of minutes, we're looking around, and we go, oh, crap, where's Caleb? Not again. And, and, and so then we go out, and we're walking towards the thing, and sure enough, all of a sudden, he's just booking, coming back the, other, the opposite way. He's running in the other direction, just weeping, Right? Because as much as Caleb likes to go off and do his own thing, as soon as mom and dad aren't around, whoa, unacceptable, can't do this, need mom and dad. And see, that's what happens with God. You guys, in your heart, at some point to ever experience God really in your life, you have to actually become like a little kid. And you finally have to go, you know what? I need you. I need you. And it doesn't matter who you are or how successful your business is or how great your family's going or how much money you have. It doesn't matter. Every human being needs God. So we become completely filled with life, those who are empty of themselves. Because what happens when you finally just go, God, I need you, then the kingdom of heaven is yours. And what that means, you guys, is the end of yourself is the beginning of receptivity. Instead of you filling this all up with all of your efforts to protect yourself or to provide for yourself or to control for your life, you finally go like this and you go, okay, God, I'm done. And God goes, awesome. Awesome. Because you have no idea what I have for you. And you can finally receive once you're empty of yourself. That's why K2's value, the first value we have at K2 is to receive. Because it all starts there. Now what's the kingdom of heaven, you guys? The kingdom of heaven is simply, it's the way of God. The kingdom, when you, everything you're going to read about the kingdom of heaven, God's just going to say, this is my way. And it's good and pleasing and perfect. And the kingdom of God is letting God have his way. It's his way and then we have to let him have his way. You guys, if you grew up in church at all, have thine own way, Lord. Have thine own way. You are the potter. I am the clay. Take me and mold me. Make me anew. See, it's that, that, that type of heart that says, have your way with me. And once you do, you guys, here's, you know what the kingdom of God really is? It's the presence of God. See, instead of full of all this rock and sand, all of your worries and the fears and opinions and thoughts about what's right and your self-protection, he eventually just, you, you, you go, I'm done. And you empty yourself of all, everything that's not him. And he just goes, thank you. And he comes in. In Isaiah 57, it says, this is what the high and lofty one says, he who lives forever, whose name is holy. He goes, I live in a high and holy place. God lives in a high and holy place. But he also, with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit, to receive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. See, so God lives in the big, awesome, he's unbelievable. But where else does he live? In every heart that just goes, I need you. I need you. And as soon as you're poor in spirit, his presence comes and is with you. So, band, come on up.
And here's the other guy's thing that's so cool about doing this series right after Easter is um, everything we talked about Easter last week is that Easter happened. Jesus is alive to live in you. Jesus Christ is alive to live in you. And here's what, that's the whole power. The power, the same power that rose Christ from the dead is now inside you. May he strengthen you with power in your inner being so that Christ will dwell in your heart through faith. So Christ can dwell in your heart through faith, through trusting him. And here's the coolest thing about Christ. In Philippians 2, it says, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ. So what was Christ like? Being in very nature God, he didn't consider equality God was something to be grasped, but he made himself nothing. And in one version it says, he emptied himself, taking on the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. See, the coolest thing about Christ, you guys, is he's the one who said, I do nothing on my own. But whatever the Father tells me to do, I do it. He humbled himself. He emptied himself. And because of that, he changed the world. And he lived the fullness of the kingdom. And what's so great is now he says, I want to live in you. I want to live in you. So any of us who receive Christ, my whole point with this is, now let Christ get in. Let him touch your fears. Let him touch your insecurities. Let him touch your pain. Let him help. Start to not believe that you know all the answers to life and be willing to just be open to say, okay, Jesus, do you have things that you want to teach me? And when we do, so what all this means, you guys, is you surrender to him. Jesus says, you got to take up your cross daily and follow me. If you'll actually do that, you're going to find your life. You're going to find your life. So God has so much that he wants to give to us, and we're going to look at this. But it all starts with this. Simply saying, you know what, God? My heart is so full. So full. And I just want to empty it out right now. I just want to empty it out right now. And I want to ask you, I'm going to surrender here, right here today. I'm just, even if you're a Christian today, you might just need to go, because take up your cross daily, right? <laughs> Maybe again, you've gotten off the cross. See, that's my whole idea. I get on the cross and I'm like, hey, wow. And then somebody, you know, and then I always want to save myself. You know, life gets hard and I jump off the cross. <laughs> and then I save myself and then life starts to fall apart. And then you have these, oh, that's right. Life is found. Death, resurrection follows the crucifixion. When you empty yourself, he fills you. You empty yourself, and he fills you. So maybe for some of you today, you just need to confess and say, God, oh, I've been so full of myself lately, and I just want to empty myself. And when I do, will you come in with your kingdom and begin to take over? And that's what the song that Mary is going to lead us in. It just says, to you, our hearts are open. Nothing here is hidden. You are our own desire. Here I am. Come. So let me pray for us and then we'll, then we'll worship. Lord, I just ask that you might, um, even as we lead in worship now, as we go through this, God, come and speak to our hearts and help us to know what it is that we've filled up our hearts with our own fears and insecurities and opinions and attitudes, our own control. Our God, we don't want to let control. And yet you say, boy, if you will, if you'll be poor in your spirit, if you'll realize you just need me and say, I can't survive unless you come, God. Come right now. 
Lord, for every heart that's saying that in this room, that's saying, God, come right now into my heart. I pray you'd just rush in and take us to a whole new place. Here we are, God. We're right here. And here are our hearts. Take them and fill them in Jesus' name.